we'll get all our friends around us and we'll sing a song together. Welcome to Pedos Down Under Radio, Episode 2. My name is Steve McMurray and I'm here with Fiona Barnett. This episode is really interesting. It exposes a lot of people, especially the Woodrow Commission, uh, groups like Hillsong Church and the New South Wales Police Force and the New South Wales Government in general. So this is going to be a really interesting podcast and radio show today. But um, Fiona, why don't you tell us a little bit about the interview that you did with Deb? Yeah, well... Prepare to have your minds blown, folks. I mean, I thought I knew a lot about uh, the pedophile ring that abused me, but I have a bit of a new perspective on it, thanks to Deb, who's incredibly brave. Deb's been fighting uh, this pedophile network since the 1980s, and uh, she's the New South Wales Police and Children Services and various organisations have continued to victimise her because she dared speak out about uh, the abuse of her two children in what was uh, Hillsong when they were Christian Life Centre, started by pedophile uh, Frank Houston, who uh, abused hundreds of children, boys. And uh, so it turns out that Hillsong is actually a cover for um, ritual abuse and mind control. Um, And I know from another victim that... Um, uh, Dr. Anthony Kidman was actually involved in the unethical uh, practices, psych- psychological practices, at, uh, in conjunction with Hillsong as well. So he would ensure that the victims did not speak. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah, it was it's it's a bit of a disturbing interview as well to to realise that our society is this far gone so far infiltrated yeah it's gone it's, it's absolutely gone i mean it's just crazy i mean deb's a great example everywhere she's gone you know like you fiona um she gets harassed by these people who don't want to get a story out getting her story out so um you know at what level does it stop in the australian government and it's so disgusting to think that you know hillsong i mean it's it's a great community there's great people i know who go to it but um when you think it's about safe. it they are, they are, and they like the church worships the Almighty Dollar, not Jesus Christ, and it's it's a massive problem. I mean, that's common in um, sort of those big church sort of Christian groups promote themselves as this great, you know, center for, for children, young people, and youth, and there's all sorts of great things happening there. You know, music, it's entertainment, you know, but there's is is too much focus on money. Um, they really aren't switched on to what the Bible is actually saying, and 
I think that's for a reason. They're misleading Christians on purpose. And wouldn't it make sense if you're a group, you know, a bunch of Satanists and you really want to do some harm, if you want to get your idea out there, if you want to make this world molded into the world that you want to uh, live in it as, um, you want to infect the churches, you want to start taking over the organizations, you want to start perverting Christianity, you want to start destroying it from within. So there's a there's an operation going on here that's been evident from the current Royal Commission, from all the sexual abuse cases that have gone on in the Catholic Church, from the Anglican churches, from all the other churches. especially Exactly. In, in Hillsong here today, I mean, at what level does it stop? It's, you know, this group is also infected the New South Wales government and the Australian federal government, from what yeah. Deborah's saying. Um, look, I'm a born-again Christian, uh, for one of a better term, it's just become so um, tainted, that term. But uh, I, I won't be affiliated with any church. I'm so thoroughly disgusted. And um, now I know why with this Hillsong business. Um, I knew it was bad, but all the Assemblies of God churches um, and the various denominations in Australia have been completely infiltrated by these Luciferian pedophiles. And, uh, and they've accessed children under the guise of teaching them Sunday school classes and, and daycare and all this sort of thing. And it involves uh, probation and parole. It involves um, child protection. It involves the police. Uh, work at Hillsong. These are people who attend Hillsong and they work for the um, coven that's behind Hillsong um, to snatch children. They, they target uh, single mums, vulnerable mums, um, and, uh, yeah, they access their children. And people have to know that these are not uh, Christian churches. These are, these are evil organisations. They are, they are foul. They're, they're conducting uh, Luciferian rituals at the church. They've, they're abducting children in the past. They've, you know, they're prostituting. They're still prostituting children, I know, from other victims. Um, and this really needs to be exposed. And... Yeah, what can you say, Steve? It's just, it's, it's, it's worse than we thought, isn't it? Um, through their practices and their music, rock music concerts. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's hypnotic. They employ subtle mind control techniques and brainwashing techniques and hypnosis techniques. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, they actually, the types of... Um, materials that they teach are sort of kowtowed to the kundalini spirit not not god's holy spirit of the bible mm. so some of their teachings are just foul it, it, it's all this new age doctrine and you know is it anthony robbins is that motivational speaker tony robbins mm -hmm. yeah this hillsong steals a lot of his techniques and uh these nlp and more subtle um, you know, persuasive techniques on the audience. So, you know, enter enter their church at your own risk, people. Mm. Welcome to the show, Deb. Hi, Fiona. Thanks for having me. No worries. So what I thought we'd do, Deb, is pe there are people who have really no clue uh, regarding the Wood Royal Commission and they don't understand the relationship between the Wood Royal Commission and the current Child Abuse Royal Commission that's uh, happening at a federal level at the moment. 
So could you just give us a basic introduction to how you came into contact with the Woodrow Commission and, you know, when you first found out about your children's abuse um, that necessitated um, you going to the Woodrow Commission? Yeah, well, we go, we go back to 1989 and um, when my children first disclosed. Um, when my son was only six years old, and he told me what happened that um, this particular man had uh, raped him anally and whatnot. Um, his words were, as a six-year-old, he stuck his dick in my bum. Um, I think my world stopped at that moment. And um, then once he was believed, he was a, a full-on avalanche of information coming out, you know, giving me details of what happened then, not just that event. Uh, telling me about the at the church where they went to, which was called the Christian Life Centre back then, which is now known as Hillsong. Now, um, he told me about the star on the floor with candles on the points of this uh, star inside a circle with all these adults around in robes, black robes, chanting, um, all, all this satanic sort of uh, information. I, I didn't know anything about it. The... The only thing I'd ever seen was a, was a movie called The Exorcist. I mean, other than that, uh, I didn't have a clue about satanic anything. Um, so, and then my daughter started talking as well. Uh, but the, the thing that, not only the sexual abuse, which told, they told me about, um, they also told me, which I believe, I don't have any proof of it, but I believe the children were also drugged. They said they gave them a drink and a biscuit. They said, and then they went all funny in the head. And that's when everything started. Mm. Um, now, um, then, then when they described to, be, to me about the murders of the children that they witnessed, there were several, one of whom was identified as Helen Carapides, who disappeared from her home at Marrickville. Now, she's still on the missing persons list. My children described in detail what they did to her, that um, they cut her chest open, they pulled her heart out, they were forced to drink blood, um, all sorts of disgusting satanic stuff. Now, uh, I do believe that, from what I've been told, that um, there are people within the police force and other areas which make sure that a lid stays on these sort of cases, that if anyone brings them up, they are dealt with, and they will shut them down and nothing will be done. Hmm. Now, when I was with, um, how it went about from the beginning, when I first went to police and reported it and whatnot, the, um, the police were dragging their chain and whatnot. They, they weren't seeming to act in, in the capacity that uh, I expected. I expected, like, wow, you know, there's murder and everything involved here to jump on it. No, they didn't. What they did was rang the... They contacted DOCS, which is well, was then known as Family and Community Services or what other people around the world would know as uh, child welfare. Um, and then they were wanting to talk to the children, examine the children. Then they wanted me to have a psychiatric assessment. Um, basically, they were pointing fingers at me. Uh, the efforts they went to and the lengths that this DOCS unit went to to discredit me, including false reports saying that um, my mother and myself and whatever, we all were all schizophrenic. Mm. Yet we'd never seen a psychiatrist before. My mother had never seen a psychiatrist. My sister had, 
um, due to other issues um, when she broke up with her partner and whatnot. But um, I've never been diagnosed with any mental illness uh, other than now um, with all the events that have gone on over the over past 25 years of, um, of onslaught by the system. And continual victimisation harassment. Oh, yeah. I mean, goodness me, I mean, I was targeted. I had three car accidents within in six months. Mm. Two of those were within four weeks of each other, none of which were my fault. Um, I was driven straight at yeah. in cars to, to make it look like a car accident. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been shot at. I've been had my food tamped with. I've been poisoned. Um, I was very, very ill for a while with that. So um, that the ongoing non-stop um, onslaught to um, attack, harass, discredit, trying to push you over the edge. Yeah, I, I have PTSD. Yeah. Um, but I, that's uh, not a, um, a a mental illness, so to speak. It, it's a re, it's a con- it's a stress it's a response. To what's happened to you, not to what's wrong with you. Yeah. So okay. you tend to live on a knife's edge with you know um, all the time a high alert, hyper vigilance, um, alert for any danger. It's it's no different to. Um, any soldier or um, anyone else in uh, high-end um, fight-flight sort of situations where you've got to have your wits about you at all times. So um, other than that, uh, no, I don't have any problems with that. I have been diagnosed by several psychiatrists as not having that. So they can go for their life to try and discredit me now. It's not going to work. So, Deb, uh, you've told me during our um, chats before about a time when the police, you'd moved out of a house and the police turned up and the new tenants were confronted with what looked like a bit of a siege situation. Yes. Just, um, that's a good example, I think, of what you're talking about. Can you just tell us about that? Yes, it is. Um, what, what happened was, um, with all of this, uh, eventually, when the police were failing to act and docs were doing what they're doing to shut down the case... Um, I got involved with Deidre Grusevin. Deidre Grusevin was a politician in Parliament at the time. And she, she assisted and pushed, um, pushed this for, through um, politi- political channels to actually get an investigation going. Now, uh, when they did the investigation and all the rest of it, they, they basically were... It was a, a thing to shut me down. Okay, so... Time goes on, and Deidre encouraged me then to go to the Wood Royal Commission to get this into them. So I did that, and when I did that, um, the Wood Royal Commission sent me back to the Witness Protection Unit because when this happened, Deidre got us into the Witness Protection Unit for our safety because the attempts on my children's lives, people from the church tried to grab my children after they disclosed. So we got placed in a Witness Protection. So... And, and then all the attacks on us. So then when we went to the Woodrow Commission, they sent me back. They said, well, look, it's because ob- I took in the evidence of what's happening. And he said, it's obvious your identity is being blown. I said, what do you mean blown? It's never been safe. Uh, they sent me back to the Witness Protection Unit. Now, when I went back to them, for them to help me, the hostility I, conf- I was confronted with was unbelievable. Mm. Now, the woman in there, her, her name was Megan Backhouse. Now, she... She said to me, well, basically, um, seeing as you're helping the Wood Royal Commission against us, you go back to them and you get them to help you. Yeah. When she said to me in the, the Police Witness Protection Unit, you, you, know, you go back to them and help you, the hostility, the venom that she came out of her mouth, um, I, I was taken aback. I was like, oh, my God. And I knew at that moment I had to get out of where I was. 
Mm. So I left there. When I left there, I went back to the Woodrow Commission. I told them what happened. When I left there, I was followed from the Woodrow Commission building and by a man in a grey suit. Um, when I got home, I started making immediate preparations and uh, I got on the phone to try and organise something somewhere else to live straight away and then started packing. I moved out of the house approximately two to three weeks later. Mm. So we weren't living there anymore. And I never told anyone where we were going or where we'd moved to or that we'd even moved. Smart. Now, some new people moved into the house a few days after I'd left. And what happened was they had a child that went to the same school as my daughter. And on the Monday following this event, this child came to the school and told my daughter what happened. So I immediately rang the mother at that house and spoke to her and asked her what happened. She told me. So I explained to her the situation with us. And uh, she was, oh. Now, she, what this woman explained to me was the police blocked off the street at either end from my house and they, they came onto my house like a big siege situation. They were looking for me. Yep. So once she confirmed everything that happened, and I'd done nothing wrong, they were, they were going to shut me up after that, um, I believe. So anyway, I rang Deidre Grissovan and I told her what happened. And she said, have you done anything? I said, of course not. So she said, leave it with me, I'll make some inquiries. She made inquiries, she came back to me, she said, Deb, she said, no one knows anything about it. It's mm. like it never happened. Yeah. She, and then so she said, what's this woman's name? So she rang her as well and spoke to her. So, you know, it's all recorded that um, this event did happen but it's not on any records anymore. Yeah, that's Tell what me I, what's going on there, sweetie. Yeah, well, that, that's what I refer to as the shadow police force. They're the Luciferian pedophile ring employed police force within the New South Wales police force. Oh, yeah. Well, I've even had a, um, a, a highway patrol guy, a uh, copper, he, police officer, he has said to me to my face, we're going to get you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's only young, yeah, but he's, you know, he's very arrogant. And I've been trying to fix this problem that the state created with our identity and whatnot so that we could travel, so that we could, you know, have a normal life. I mean, my children, uh, as they grew up and the attempts on their lives in between uh, was phenomenal. I actually had to send my son away uh, to live with a friend for a year because I wasn't coping with trying to raise my daughter who was out there as well. I was doing all this stuff. I was working raising my kids alone and then they, uh, they were following my son to school then they actually made attempts to run him over and chased him. Uh, my son jumped between cars to avoid this car trying to you know, chase him all over the place to run him over to mm. make it look like an accident. He actually ended up running into a house. Uh, after that event, because uh, I, I couldn't do everything, I couldn't be in two, you know, several places at once. Mm -hmm, I couldn't be no. at work and looking after both kids who were in different places. And, as a single mum, yeah. Yeah, as a single mum, doing everything all at once. Uh, I couldn't be there for both of them and work too and protect them all, and you know, it was impossible. So I sent my son to live with a friend of mine uh, for over a year mm. to keep him alive, to keep him safe. Yeah. But my son, you know, that, that affected him badly, feeling like he wasn't wanted. He was sort of kicked to yeah. the ground. Um, but it wasn't the case. It's just that I couldn't do everything, I, you know. What was said to me was, um, eventually, uh, you're a very strong woman. Mm -hmm. you know, um, they've thrown everything at you, haven't they? And I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, they said that, and I've actually had professionals say to me, how, do you, how are you still standing? Mm -hmm. How have you still got this together after everything that's gone on? 
And I just said, well, you know, I'm not going to lay down and die. But also, it's what you said to me. You're not actually a victim yourself. You were you were a strong, you know, average, normal person before all of this. Yeah. So you're you you weren't developmentally sort of scarred like your children have been through their abuse. So you're coming from a, you know, reference point that makes you much more stable and able to handle more, wouldn't you say? I would say so. I, but uh, I also grew up in a in a low socioeconomic area as a child. Um, and it sort of gives you a bit of street smarts and, mm. um, you know, you have that um, toughness sort of thing that, you know, when you grow up in an area like that. Mm. But, um, I think that gave me a, a good foundation for this yeah. so that I wasn't... I was lucky that I wasn't brought up doing what I'm doing now. I, 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 I'm lucky I wasn't brought up in a, in a, um, a well-to-do area with you know, um, in bubble wrap, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, with a silver spoon. Yeah. Because if I had of, I would never have coped with the onslaught. I would have gone off the edge. I don't think anyone else could have taken a lot of what I've gone through. No. And stayed okay without, you know, some sort of uh, therapy and help and all the rest of it. I mean, mm. I went to a therapist once. My girlfriend said, you know, to me, then, like you need tools to cope with this because there was days that I was like ripping my hair out and crying and whatever she said look you know because I was so upset with what was going on especially when the attempts on my kids lives you know yeah. she said well you need to go and see someone get some counselling and you know <laughs> she will give you the tools to help you cope <laughs> I went to this I went to this um, counsellor and uh, psychologist I'm talking to her within 10 minutes she was crying her eyes out and yeah. going what yeah uh, and she yeah. said, I can't, I can't help you. I can't deal with this. Yeah. And so she was mirroring what I should have been feeling. And I'm looking at going, well, hello, I can't <laughs> get, not... get some tools. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even hear it, let alone deal with it. How, how do you feel? How do you think I feel living it? Yeah. People it's... just don't understand until they've lived it themselves. They, it, it's very surreal and it sounds like something out of a movie, a Hollywood movie. Yeah. Well... But, the, also, the other thing was um, the docs officers involved. One in particular, her name was Isabel Duncan. Mm. Now, she worked out of the Strathfield office in Sydney. Now, she went to great lengths to discredit me. Mm. Um, so, in the end, her sitting there laughing and smirking, I have no doubt that she was a damage control agent or involved with it. Oh, yeah. You, you know them when they start smirking at you. Oh, it's yeah. like no, some she actually cops that I've had. They smirk yeah. at you. You know that they're one of them. You yeah. know they're not They're not just working for them. They are part of it. That's right. I have no doubt. Well, she was actually caught later on doing the same thing with another case at another office later on, mm. trying to do the same thing. Yeah. 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 And it's the same with what you said about the police writing reports and people writing oh. reports to try and write you up as nuts. Oh, yeah. Um, that's, that's just happened time and time and time again. That's their... Well, when um, I typical. confronted Docs um, later on, when I actually got those reports, because I didn't see them prior, I, when I actually got them and I was horrified and, you know, I got back to them. Like, I'd already taken copies and DJ Grusevin and others all had copies of this first report. Now, Docs didn't know that. So when I go back to them, they'd amended their report. They took mm. out the lies that I could prove were lies. And the ones that it was he said, she said, uh, they left it in, in and they put on the amended report, Mother Denies This. Yeah. Such as uh, they made a report that my 
see what happened was before the abuse was all disclosed um, I moved in the middle of the year and my son was four anyway he was already at a kindergarten preschool before this well during the middle of the year it's very hard to get them in anywhere so I'd rang the family community services um, because they often help with special placements or getting you in somewhere in your area where you've moved to mm. so um, what they did was they, they contacted me and said, well, you know, there's a place here. But in the meantime, with them and their delays, I'd found something for my son anyway. Mm. So they had, that, they had that information of where they were uh, going to get my son into at the time, um, into this other preschool. But the thing is, I'd already organised something else somewhere else, and he never went. So in their report, they put down that my son attended this place and the, the facilitator there made reports to them that my son attended with bruises on him and this and that and the other. Mm. And when I confronted them about that, they were horrified. They were, oh, because they were only going off the information on their file. So they were and trying to, fabricated. yeah, they would have snatched your kids off you, wouldn't they, under the Child mm. Protection Act? Yeah. Well, when I could prove all that, then they, that's when they sat back. And, and then when I got the amended report... That amended report was copied and put out everywhere as well. So everyone had both copies. Mm. Well, when I went to see a solicitor later on and I took all of these uh, paperwork to him, I didn't know he was also a danger. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I left it with him because he wasn't in his office at, at the time. And uh, anyway, I took the paperwork down. And this is, so this is going back in the 90s. You know, I was struggling then and we didn't have internets and you know or everybody having printers at home and all this sort of thing that was all expensive to do and being a single mum you know like, I didn't have a lot of money and, so. and there was no people have to understand the young ones today there was no social media back then no there was no, no internet there was no nothing so it was very very hard to get information you had to manually go and get it from a library look yes. you know get the book out get the newspaper and if you didn't happen to buy the newspaper that week that was the end of that story that's right. You don't see well, it again. Speaking of that, I, I did go to the library and whatever to try and understand what the kids were saying to me. Because, I mean, they were describing it in the way a child would. Um, they would tell me about the sticks. Now, I didn't understand what they were talking about. You know, I'm thinking, what are they talking about sticks? Well, anyway, once I got a book out on Alistair Crowley, it was, mm -hmm. um, they were talking about wands. Wand. And, oh, the yeah. penny dropped. Oh, great. You know, I got it. Bingo. The light bulb went on. You know, it was one of them aha moments. Uh, then I was making sense because the kids were describing it as they saw it, literally. They didn't know. And now you see Harry Potter, you know, with the sticks in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, things like that. Yeah. And anyway, so I, go, I went with the book because um, I wasn't in the library to start with. And anyway, I joined at the library a couple of months later. Uh, the kids disclosed at uh, on the 28th of September, 89. I didn't join the library till October in 89. Anyway, I had the card where I joined with the date on it. Uh, but so I get this book out and I read it and I said I took it over to docs and I said to the woman there I said do you want to read this I said because my kids are telling me exactly what's in here but more there's more detail my kids are coming out with than what's written in here so then they tried to say that I'd been getting all these books out or I was into all of this occult yeah. stuff and yeah. I'm planting these ideas in my kids heads Yeah. so anyway when the investigation started uh, with a task force eventually it was formed um they, they then, I, I then produced the card, and I said, "Well, look, you know, you might, you might say that I'm smart or good or whatever, but I can't turn back time. My kids came out with this two months prior to me joining the library, and here's the card, and here's the evidence that I wasn't even a member of it, and didn't get the book out until well after the date. So you tell me how I knew about this back then, 
Yeah. You know, um, they tried all sorts of tricks like that. Oh, they try anything, anything they can. Oh yeah. So, um, so what what I'm um, what I've done ever since, you know, then was try to create awareness. Now I worked with a lot of people over the years um, to bring about awareness of, of this. Back in a time, you know, when like you said, there was no media. There was no. no other way to do it. What it was by phone calls. It was by yep. public speeches and um, going to organisations, groups, meetings. Which is why and I ended up going into uh, joining ASCA at the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I also went to NAPCAN. Then uh, when Franco Arena, another politician here, uh, who stepped in after Deidre Grisevin was annihilated in Parliament for exposing uh, other people. Um, she was removed from the front bench in Parliament. And, and Deb, she exposed people like that particular lawyer, Marsden. Yes. And uh, people who later on, it came out that he was indeed a pedophile. So these people that they accused um, under parliamentary privilege uh, turned out later on they all committed suicide and, you know, and oh, other yeah. victims have since come forward. And I've spoken to a lot of victims of those very same people. Yes. Uh, well, with... Um John Marsden, and then there was Frank Arkell. Yeah, um, oh. he's one of my perps from Wollongong. Right now, he was actually murdered later by yeah. by one of his victims. Um, yes, he was, and they wrote. People don't realise they've covered that up, haven't they? That yes, they they cut off various parts of his body, didn't they? And didn't yeah. they leave a big encircled encircled pentagram in blood on the wall? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, others were uh, Senator Collins. I don't know if you remember him. Senator Collins was another pedophile from yeah, the Northern yeah. Territory in Parliament, yeah. and he was a known pedophile. Now, he died before they actually went to court. Yeah. Suicide, so that uh, it didn't come out. Yeah, a lot of them were suicided. Yeah. yeah. Or I, I call them assisted suicides. Oh, yeah. A lot of them. Uh, because even if they can't do it themselves, their cronies or their associates in these groups will get rid of them so that uh, it's all covered up and nothing comes out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just like a, a big, uh, what they call it, the... The old movie, Get Smart. The cone of silence, I call it. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Uh, you know, they can't, it's like the mafia code, you know. Nobody talks. You talk so, to your dead. Yeah, yeah. There's no... then, they're, then they're putting everyone else that's involved at risk. Yeah. Or bring attention to them. That's and right. then they may look at the spiderweb connections, you know, and go out and, and bring attention to someone else. Yeah. So they've got to contain it. And how they contain it is they eliminate that threat. One of their codes they live by is you can do whatever you want, just don't get caught. Yeah. And if you do get caught, you're gone. Yeah. and they all, It's like the mafia. What happens? Yeah, everybody's seen these mafia movies where if someone in the mafia stuffs up, then they all take them for a, a drive and they shoot them. Yeah. And this yeah. is exactly what they do to their own. If yeah, they, exactly. If they stuff up, they're a goner and they all know that's the rule. Yeah, that's right. Um, the thing is with us people who didn't know anything about this, See, my, my children, uh, I wasn't born into any of this. I wasn't abused in that way or anything like that or whatnot. Um, I had my children. My husband at the time, you know, he, we, he was having affairs and whatever. So we broke up and I was a single mum. So all my kids did was they went to school and they went to Sunday school, you know, because I was brought up like that. Mm. Uh, I didn't think anything of it. Sunday, it was a man who I knew in the area all my life since I was a child. I didn't know he was a pedophile. Yeah. So I allowed my kids to be picked up in the this Sunday school bus, small little bus, yeah, um, and to go to Sunday school. And I was raising my kids, and I was going to work and whatnot, um, just to make ends meet. 
Is that the, can I just ask? Is that the same? Did did Helen um, Carapides did Carapides Carapides did she go to that same Sunday school? Yes, she went to the same Sunday school. And did Samantha Knight? Uh, she went to the same not to the same building. She went uh, from, from what the information I have. She went to the one in the city. Okay, she's another victim who went missing. Yes. Now they also were investigating another girl um, who'd moved. They'd moved away from this area to another area. And she got this. She was taken from her bedroom window. Yes. Her name was Renee Atkins. Renee Atkins. Yeah. Now I don't know what the outcome of that was, but that sort of went very quiet. Um, so I've got a funny feeling that that was involved too, because of the nature of it. The child was only the, she was only young. She was only these like were nine. Deb. These were very bold abductions. Oh yeah. So Carapides, um, Helen. She she was just. It, it, it seems obvious that she was taken by people she knew because she was playing in a front yard. Yeah. Well, and now I look back, look back over where, you know, it's easy to be wise in hindsight when you become aware of things. Um, when I was growing up, there was another little boy that was murdered in the area, and his name was Simon Brooks. Simon and Brooks. Simon Brooks was only a toddler. Yeah. And um, they never found his killer. And yeah. he had his penis cut off and put down his throat and everything else. There's oh, that's quite a number of murders in yeah, the that, area. That's over Luciferian years. ritual. Yeah, there was quite a number of murders in the area over the years, but mm. there was no connection made to any of this. People are thinking, you know, some sick, sick persons out there doing, you know, murders. random, random killings. Yeah, mm. and no, this is the other thing that we're talking about. You know, um, with with when even with the backpacker killings. Mm. Um, they, they, when I contacted the backpacker investigation unit because it was first in the paper about you know the way the bodies were laid out in the forest and yes, what. weren't they all dismembered and spread out? Yeah, they were spread out and they're in basically yeah. a pentagram pattern of where pentagram, they were. Yes, it was. I so, remember it was a Luciferian sort of yeah, cult behind so it. So when I when I contacted them that unit, lo and behold, the two IC in command of my investigation was in that one. Mm. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He went, he went to great lengths to reassure me and to put the brakes on any connection to that at all. And saying it was Ivan Malat. Yeah. Well, at that stage, Ivan Malat hadn't been charged or anything like that. He didn't say who it was mm. But at that stage with that call. Yeah, but they had to pin it, on, pin it on. Not that Ivan's uh, an angel. I'm not saying that. But um, it certainly was more than one person involved, and it was certainly a Luciferian coven. Oh yeah. Mer- yeah. Well, I don't know if the Malats are involved in any of that or not. I do because my I do because my father and his brothers associated with the Malats. I right. know quite you a bit know. about the Malats, and so also... basically, Malats family was involved, and he was the patsy to take. Yeah, the he's the patsy. The rest of them. But I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I know that they were generally involved um, in a lot of dirty dealings and. Um, you know, and I know that they're. Uh, I think Ivan attended Ingerdine Boys Town, where I was a oh. second generation ritual abuse victim. But yeah. um, you know, as as to what really happened with that particular incident, I don't know with those uh-huh. murders. But I, I, I there must have been something in the background, but I didn't know what because I wasn't involved in any of that. Um, but I have supported a lot of other non-offending parents and kids over the years. Yeah. Um, one interesting fact uh, that came to light during uh, all this support that I was doing and trying to raise awareness and um, trying to protect other kids and support families and whatnot, while I was a single mum raising two kids, trying to hold, hold down a job and everything else too, 
attending commissions and you know police investigation. Um, in all, in all that, an, an interesting fact came out when someone else I know went to the victims' compensation court for oh. their kids. Yeah. Anyway, my case was mentioned to them because we won our victims' compensation trial. Mm. Um, initially, uh, I shouldn't say first one, because what happened was with the victims' compensation unit, when my information went in there, uh, we were given a date and um, the information had to be in by a certain date. Well, what happened was the victims' compensation unit, tribunal, which is just the same as a court here, um, they held my case prior to that date and the information wasn't in there. And they, and they said, no, right? So we didn't get anywhere. So, but, so my solicitors at the time um, had to appeal it because the, the tribunal, Victims' Compensation Tribunal, erred in law. In other words, they didn't want the information in there and they no. wanted to sit down. They never so do. then we went to appeal. Now, at the appeal, my children were allowed to give evidence, even though the mm. Crown... Um, tried to stop it. They tried to stop my children going in to give evidence. Mm. Now, the judge at the time was Judge Ainsley Wallace. This is in... Um, this was in um, 1997. Mm. Um, anyway, my kids gave evidence in there, um, told them what happened and whatnot. My kids were believed. Anyway, we won on that day. Mm. And Deb, what evidence did they give? Did they give evidence as to watching ritual human sacrifice? I wasn't, allowed in the room. I wasn't allowed in there, and I was never told what the kids said. Okay. In the court, I wasn't allowed to be in there. Is that um, the basis of it all, though? Who pardon? Is that the basis of their evidence? Your children's evidence was it to do with the the sacrifices and? Uh, no, no, it was basically the on the on the injury to them. It was basically on the sexual abuse at Hillsong Church. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, and can, um, I, can my, I just I know, ask... The only thing that was said to me was my daughter was upset when she came out. My son actually came out feeling good yeah. because he'd been heard and believed. Yeah. My daughter was upset and angry because the she was a little bit older then. Yeah. And this barrister for the Crown was actually calling her a liar on the yeah. stand. Yeah. And she swore at her, you know. <laughs> so your kids had their day in court, so to speak. They... Yes. Yes, and, and they, they got awarded to victim's compensation, so it's criminal, criminal damages, basically. So mm. my children's case was upheld. Well, anyway, later on down the track, this other woman goes to victim's compensation with her kids, and my, my case was mentioned. They said there was, not, there, there was no records of it. Really? So then I had to go to her solicitor and give him a letter of authority to access that information, and Can I also gave it? a letter of my to my solicitors to... Uh, release this other solicitor the information which had suddenly disappeared mm. now there was other incidents such as when I took my children to a hospital that they'd been to prior to being re-identified my children's records disappeared from the hospital that was on the computer but there was no files there mm. uh, I found that what I found was files were disappearing from everywhere mm. where we'd been before mine was still there but my kids wasn't now, my children, when I asked them, why didn't they tell me um, about this to start with in the beginning when it was first happening? And they said, because they told us. And I, and I couldn't understand a child feeling like that because uh, the fear and the terror of, of witnessing children being abused and murdered. Uh, they said, the children told me that they said that if we ever told anyone that they would kill you and then they would get us forever. Mm. So they remained silent. Mm. And and they mean the perpetrators mean what they said too. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. So and they've the done ch- their best to 
to carry yeah. through with that promise. Now, tell us, I'm, I'm interested in, um, now, was Frank Houston involved in the church at that time? Yes, yes. So Frank let's, let's just tell people who Frank Houston is. So he is the father of Brian Houston, who currently runs Hillsong Church. But Frank Houston was actually a pedophile, and he was charged in New Zealand, I think That's it was, right. wasn't it? With yes, some... and he fled, he fled over here to Australia. He mm. set up um, the Christian Life Centre in Sydney, and from what I know, uh, he's got, he went from strength to strength with the backing um, of one of the alphabet agencies in the States. Mm. Yeah. Um, given what we know about the military, mind control, MK Ultra, mm. etc., uh, I believe he was used then because of his background, then for recruiting the children for the trauma-based mind control, and they used the, they they would then select the right children they wanted from this. And I believe it's still going on elsewhere. I have reports from elsewhere in other um, assemblies of God Pentecostal churches over here, yeah, right. such as are, that are affiliated with all of that. The other names they go yeah. under. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, indeed, I know of one young woman. Um, I've had a bit to do with her and. Um, she's not that old now, and she was prostituted by Hillsong, Brian Houston's church, from the age of 2 to 22 years. She was yes. prostituted within the church. And I understand they make um, kitty porn and snuff films in Hillsong as well. Yes, I've heard that. My children said that. They, um, What they said was that um, when, all this, or when all this ritual stuff was going on, the abuse and murders and all the rest of it, mm. the, ritual, the, the sacrifices, uh, they said that it was all filmed. Mm. They said the people were there with cameras. Oh, yeah. And there's cameras up on the wall. Mm. They also said there was secret passageways, secret doorways they went through. It looked like a wall, but you, they pushed on a certain part and a door would open. Mm. So I'd say it's concealed doorways. Yeah. I made it look like a panel or whatever. I don't know. I didn't go in there. And, and my guess is that the current Hillsong Church, the epicenter down there with the Gloria Jeans cafes and everything else in it, would have the same sort of setup. You'd find oh, something say underneath. So. There'd be altered, was, some sort of altar and tunnel system underneath. Yeah, well, one of the one of the perpetrators um, with my children was also an architect. Yeah. Um, right. His name was Ian Longstaff. Now, uh, I told the I told the police when I first went there. I said, "Either you get him, or I will." Yeah. Because I had no doubt what went on. Yeah. So, yeah. but because the only reason. Um, that I said that was because not only did my children say that this was happening, but they named a lot of other children. Now, what came back to me in the investigation was that when I, they told me that they'd spoken to a lot of the other children, mm. and this officer who told me this, his name was Royce Gorman. He was the 2IC in yeah. the New South Wales Police Force at the time. He said to me, we've spoken to a lot of the other children, and we know something has happened to them. I said, how? And he said, because of the look on their face, he said they went like this, and he showed me, you know, like a look of fear, terror, their eyes opening wide, and going, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, he said, so we know from their reaction something has happened, but we can't question them further. We're not allowed because of Ralph Underwager and Co. and all mm. the others like that. Who yeah, have let's about tell people about tell tell people about Ralph Underwager or Wonderwager. He was the founders in America of the False Memory Foundation. Yeah, him and his um, pedophile buddies. Uh, oh, they're all pedophiles. And Ralph Underwager was actually um, interviewed in a by a, a magazine called Padika, 
and I think they might be Swedish or something like that, or Norwegian or Danish. But anyway, there's Padika magazine. Um, you can look up the archives, and Underwager was quoted as saying that um, pedophilia was a responsible lifestyle choice for adults. Yes. Uh, they, they, look, uh, people like Ralph Underwager and Blaze and the Boy Love Associations and whatever, mm. uh, they've all infiltrated everywhere. Um, they've infiltrated the gay movement as well, mm. uh, using it as a, a cover of... Yeah, as a cover, so that, you know, if you yeah. bash pedophiles, you're bashing gays. This is yes. what they're saying. And, and pedophilia and being gay have nothing to do with each other. That's Unless right. somebody is into everything, you know, there are people when they're perverted, um, they will engage in homosexual sex, but they will also engage in sex with animals and sex with children and all sorts of really weird stuff. Yeah. So they actually are, you know, twisted. Yes. So that's and it's not to be confused with people who are um, homosexual. No, look, sexuality is one thing, regardless of your sexual orientation. If it's with consenting adults, that's, you know, and then no one's being harmed or whatever, and it's all mutual, regardless of what the fetish is. I mean, there's a lot of people who have different fetishes and whatever, mm. um, for whatever reasons. That's off the table, as far as I'm concerned. That's it's not what, what we're talking about here. Their business. But no. when it comes down to children and grooming children, because that's your, that's your bent, or, and, and we know it causes harm. No, that's not off the table. That's on the table. You yeah. want to abuse someone else's kid? Mm. I don't care whose child it is. Now, this is why I kept going. We could have been okay and just gone away quietly. Mm. But my, because my children named all these other children and the police could not question them further, they could not do anything, and I asked them why, uh, and they said because of the issue of, sorry, the issue of contamination, mm. this, this whole issue that came up because of Ralph Underwager coming out here, with the Bubbles, Mr. Bubbles case. Yeah, tell us about the Mr. Bubbles case, just what your personal contact with it was. I've written a little article including all that information, but tell us from an insider's perspective. Right, well, doing all this support work and whatnot, I was called in by police um, who were also very upset about the way the Bubbles case was handled and taken from them um, and destroyed, basically. By and they thought it was real. Anyway, they asked me, they wanted to know information about my kid's case and the correlations involved. Mm. Now, a lot of stuff was not made public in relation to the Bubbles case. Mm. Now, what I was told by these police who were involved with this case was that these children were also taken to a Christian life centre in another area of Sydney called Monovale, which was near there, near the Sea Beach Kindergarten, where the Mr Bubbles case... And this is Hill, became Hillsong again, didn't it? I, I don't know if that one's also Hillsong, it probably is. Did they amalgamate? I thought they amalgamated. So yeah, they, they did a lot of them, but a lot of them are still under the Assembly of, of God's okay. name of uh, Christian Outreach or Christian yep. Centre or okay. whatever. They go by various different names. They don't all come under the one umbrella now. Yeah, they branched yeah. out. And I think, yeah, they've branched out, but I also think they are still affiliated, connected. But to give the illusion of separation they retain their names or whatever. Yeah, I know, look, just Assemblies of God-related um, churches up in the Tweed area are, are highly affiliated with Hillsong, yet their name isn't Hillsong. They're exactly what I'm saying. And that's to give them the illusion that they're not part of it, but they are. Mm. You know, because they don't, want, they don't want any cases coming out where it's all Hillsong this and Hillsong that. Yes. Because Hillsong is now branded 
you know, really big as far as um, the Christian sort of stuff goes, especially with music and publications. Mm. And yes, the, church, the fake churchianity movement, yes. Yeah, so the other yes. thing was um, when I asked the police about interviewing all the children together, I said, mm. well, why don't we just put them in a room together and, um, and film them talking? Mm. And they said, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. I said, why not? And they, they didn't have an answer. Mm. Now, they knew that there was a problem with um, interviewing children. Uh, but because of Ralph Underwager being brought over here by the Derrens to uh, protect them, so to speak, in their case over here, mm. you've got to understand that Mr Bubbles' case, I think, was one of the first in relation to witness, um, it, in relation it, to ritual abuse. Just, just, to fill, just to fill in listeners, the Mr Bubbles' case involved allegations of satanic ritual abuse at a it's, Sydney... Um, kindergarten, kindergarten or preschool, yeah. preschool wasn't it? Yes, daycare yes. centre type thing. And yes. the kids, and then uh, sixty minutes uh, covered it, didn't they? Yes, they did. And uh, then Ralph Underwager dragged him through the courts in the US for exposing his um, his his involvement here and questioning his so-called expert testimony. Yeah, uh, and um, and then yeah. the media, Australian media, were reluctant to cover your case. Then weren't they? Because uh, yes, that. it made them all very, made all the media very wary then because everyone everyone was wary about being dragged through the courts and being sued. Mm. Mm. So um, you know, because I was interviewed by Mike Munro of sixty minutes at the time, it didn't go to air because of this of those fears. Mm. They were worried about being sued. Mm. But you did a lot of other media, didn't you, Deb? Oh yes, uh, I also did public speeches. Um, we had uh, one, one rally at Hyde Park uh, where Deidre Roosevelt and Frank Arena spoke as well, so did I. Um, we, we did a media event after the Royal Commission report came out, mm. um, which our case was in there as well. And, um, and what happened with that, that was an interesting situation because what happened with the Woodrow Commission, which was really funny, um, this is very telling. The Victims' Compensation Tribunal Court, when they shut my case down, that was right just before the Woodrow Commission ended. While we were under appeal and waiting for our matter to be heard, the Woodrow Commission report was being written. Well, just before the Woodrow Commission um, findings and, and the public release of the books that was written on it, we won our victim's compensation case, mm. but he'd already shut our case down and, and made it of no event, made, you know, that it was nothing, that it, you know, this was all fabricated and it didn't happen in his, in his book that he put out in his report. But yet we won our case, so the media jumped all over me mm. at the back of Parliament House when that was all handed out on that day because we were all there. It was a big media event to see what, this, see what was going to come out. And um, several journalists wanted to run the story but the, the editors wouldn't allow it because it would discredit Justice Woods, who we now know um, is also implicated in pedophilia. Yes. Um, and what's interesting, what came out with information that was provided to me was about his adopted daughter, Jenny, a little Eurasian girl, who they I was told uh, was hot-shotted once she was passed to use by date. Can you explain to the listeners what hotshotted means? Hotshot means an overdose of a drug to uh, to kill someone. And how old was Jenny Wood when she died? I think she was 14 at the time when she was hotshotted. Mm. But she'd been used and abused all her life. Mm. So basically, um, this is where the whole question of adoption of children and um, whatnot comes into question with me because they're 
children are basically taken for sale to provide fodder, is what I call them, fodder mm. for their pedophile VIP mates. Mm. Um, children that are selected, basically, um, you know, depending on age, hair colour, you know, type and whatnot, that satisfies what they want. Now, there is so many children who are in foster care who have been removed uh, who are being abused and are actually dying. We're talking hundreds per year. Yeah. And oh. there's nothing being done. It's, it's Australia's child protection foster care uh, setup is just a massive child sex trafficking organisation. Yes, That's it, is. All it is. And it's I don't an, care an what organisation it is. It, absolutely. It and government agencies such as what they call docs or family yeah. services. Yeah. Department. So all these Luciferians have infiltrated all these organisations. Yeah, Bernardo's, um, Salvo. You know, yeah, Salvo's, Bernardo's, yeah. Yeah, I don't care what organisation it is. They all have their people in there. They want to oh, access children. every organisation. The where they can access the yeah, children. There's it's no, as simple as that. There is no innocent denomination now. No, no. Um, you get innocent in people within organisations, but the organisations themselves have been completely taken over. And, and really what gives legitimacy to that claim is testimonies like yours. When you see all these years later, nothing has been done to, to, to expose your story, really, properly. And, and, and Helen, no, you know, Helen Carapides is is still missing. Yeah, Carapides. Carapides. Helen Carapides is yeah, still on the right. missing persons list, officially. Um, she, you know, if you look her, look her up, you can find her. Yeah. Um, you know, I have details. I've, I, I've spoken to Homicide and everything else, and I've asked them to clarify for me. I said, look, um, if you've got someone on the missing persons list and you've got two witnesses... Who can actually who have corroborative medical testimony, who can corroborate each other's testimony, and witness the murder of this person? Yeah. Um, why isn't anything done? And they no. went, "Oh, I don't know why." Yeah. And they asked questions, and then and then when I said, "Well, that," uh, I said, "Isn't age not supposed to be called into question here? That's discrimination based on age." They said, "Oh, yes, yes." And I said, "Well, I have two witnesses." Mm. With corroborative testimony, corroborative evidence, yeah. who witnessed this person's murder, and yeah. I said, uh, I want you to investigate it. And then yeah. they've asked me details, and as soon as I said they were kids, they shut me down. And when I said it was satanic ritual abuse sacrifice, yeah. he was horrified. He yeah. ran. And Helen was, what, 10 when she was abducted, was yes. she? Yes, yeah. So you've got a little 10-year-old girl whose parents are in mourning forever after. Yeah. Yeah, because of that. And you think that they murdered... Um, Helen um, Carapetti's sister as well because she started talking I don't know if they murdered her I just know that she's she, she's died um, what I was told was she, she was suicide she suicided yeah, now, right. I, I question that as yeah. I do with everything like that now but I don't have any evidence yeah, on that right. um, I also know that her brother uh, was acting out and, and took a knife to school and whatnot. I think a teacher there was picking on him or something I don't know but anyway yeah. Um, I have been told that he actually ended up going to jail. Yeah. Um, now, this child is obviously extremely damaged as well. I believe all the children... Well, this, how they this is how they shut the boys up, Deb. They put the boys in jail and they put the women in psych units. Yeah. Yeah, that's typical. That's what they try to do to me. Mm -hmm. um, they, they tried that. But I was lucky where I had another psychiatrist by the name of Anne Schleybaum, who I was referred to by Deidre Grisman at the time. Mm. And the docs officers, they, when they sent me to their psychiatrists, uh, I went up to my local doctor as well, 
and got another referral to another psychiatrist. This was prior to Deidre organising me to see Anne. Now, um, I said to her, I said, in case you've got any little funny ideas up your sleeve, I've got this referral to another one and I'll get another 20 if necessary. Mm. And she said, you do what you like, Deborah. And she, she ran out of my door mm. over that because I was awake to what her little game was, you know, mm. trying to get me to, to be diagnosed as some sort of nutcase or schizophrenic, which would fit with their report that they wrote, the false reports that they wrote mm. to discredit me. Mm. Uh, well, when I went over to their psychiatrist unit and spoke to them, and told them I was already seeing someone else um, and who she was, they they um, they backed off and they said, oh, well, we'll let her do it then because mm. they knew that it was the, the, the game was up. The, there was nothing they could do. Yeah. And they were up against, uh, you know, different uh, conflicts yeah. of diagnosis, opinions, etc. Yeah, yeah. So well, they well, you were it fighting it. Because I thwarted that, which I was lucky yeah. enough to do, you know. Deb, I just want to read you some of the content of Commissioner Wood's report, his final report. And in this, he stated that ritual abuse victims are, quote, nearly always women who during therapy for a variety of personal problems reveal previously unrecalled memories of bizarre childhood victimization at the hands of multiple offenders and who are frequently diagnosed as suffering from multiple personality disorder. Now, I just want to say something there. Before. That, that is a load of crap, number one. Oh, yeah. For one, yeah. I wasn't a victim of satanic ritual abuse. I had never been to therapy prior to this. Yeah. My children had never been to therapy prior to this. Yeah. That so, a, a, it's not men you're dealing with. You're dealing with children, and they don't suffer from multiple personality disorder, do they, these children? And um, the other thing is... Um, a lot of the victims, the majority, vast majority of Wood Royal Commission victims who, who I've spoken to are men. Mm -hmm. They've nearly all been men. Yeah. So this is an absolute lie. And the reason why they were men is because they were boys that were generally um, taken from uh, detention centres, boys' homes in yes. the New South Wales area, Derek, Minder, etc., and they were prostituted at Porky's uh, pedo, child pedo brothel, nightclub. And, and Costello's. Costello's. Yeah. And they were owned by uh, Rogerson, Roger Rogerson, um, the corrupt police officer who's in jail now. Yeah. And uh, they were trafficked to all these um, VIP personalities that, yes. you know, Tim Roy that we interviewed last week and other people have named. Now, um, can you expand on that? Speaking as to about Costello's and other other places like that, which was a known haunt or frequented bar by the the legal establishment, the judiciary uh, and barristers, solicitors, etc. Now they were taking the boys there for them to rape and whatnot out at the back of Costello's. Now the 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 reason I got to this one was because it involves another case, quite a quite sensational case here, with a murder of Anita Cobby. Yeah. With with the Murphy brothers and another boy, uh, who murdered her quite savagely and very ritualistically. It uh, was ritual. Came home. Now these boys, the Murphy boys, were prostituted and whatnot from a young age in the area that I lived. Now I knew the Murphy boys, and I I remember as a child being at school. And one of the Murphy boys was in uh, in the playground, and we had to do the, the as kids they used to do what they called folk dancing, 
in the playground with music and whatever. This young boy used to crap his pants at the time. Um, no one wanted to go near him because he's stinky and all the rest of it. And he, he always made sure he, he was always dirty and all the rest of it. Yeah. But what I know now about abuse, this boy was um, incontinent basically because of repetitive uh, sexual abuse. Yes. Belief. Yes. Uh, now I know what I know. I mean, I was a child then. I didn't know. All I knew was this boy crapped his pants, you know, and he stunk. I didn't want to go near him. So you're saying he's one of the perpetrators of the Anita Cobby murders? Yes, he, he's in jail. All yeah. of the brothers and are. And this is the one you knew, yeah? Yeah, yeah and I didn't okay. know any of this back then as a child. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't. And then when the Anita Cobby case um, came out, then, and, and I knew then, everything fell into place the, because they went to the same, they were picked up by the same people. Hmm. And so I know now what happened with them. Well, I'll just say something there, Deb, to add to that. Um, when I was training as a parole officer in Sydney, I um, was, you know, speaking with some other trainees at the academy there and uh, people training to be prison guards and so forth. Anyway, one girl, she um, actually read their files and read the details on what actually happened to Anita Cobby because a lot of the information isn't wasn't made public and also my second source was a friend I went to school with um, Justine Thompson she married a lawyer from um, oh from South Australia anyway he was working he was with the firm working on the Cobby case and so he read the file and so I've had two sources confirm that it was the details were it was a Luciferian ritualistic style murder that I'm familiar with because of my childhood but um, also, they did various things like they, and you know, don't listen now, listeners, if you don't want to be upset. But I'll give an example. Um, those boys made incisions in Anita Cobby's body and um, had sex with those incisions. Yes. And that wasn't made public. And when they took them into prison, I know that they took those, um, those boys and they just, re they have what's called an AIDS ward. Yes. Um, with uh, you know homosexual people and offenders, sex offenders who are dying of AIDS, and they just let them go. They chain them. The prison guards chain those boys to a wall, and they were just gang raped. Yeah. So you know these are not you know uh, it's not pleasant, but these are the details. Really, the public should know because so that they can be outraged and they can yeah. be properly informed as to what actually goes on. Yeah. But yeah, go on. Yeah, so, I mean, um, now looking back, there was quite a lot of activity all around us, but it was never, the dots were never connected, and it was all a separate incident. Everything was dealt with as a separate case. Nothing was joining together to um, link these perpetrators together, and a lot of it um, never came, was made public or came out. And so what I'm saying is, that those in positions of authority, investigation, police, judiciary, etc., are covering this up. They are protecting the perpetrators with case after case after case after case. The yep. list is endless. Yes, it is. It's, that is it's, and it's still going on. Now, yeah. going, getting back to Commissioner Wood, now you mentioned, I've been told um, by various people that Commissioner Wood, who was the, he was originally from England, but he was employed by the New South Wales government to conduct this Royal Commission into the Sydney-based pedophile ring, he was actually a member of that very pedophile ring. Yeah, and that's and why he was selected to do it. That's so why he chose to do it, exactly. And, yeah. and basically, you were um, 
familiar with some of this information and uh, about him being a pedophile himself, yeah? Yes, through other people that I remember I said to you, I joined all these different groups. Yeah. Um, trying to raise awareness, supporting other people, as well as getting the support for myself and yes. validation because of the annihilation and the attempts to discredit me left, right and centre. Yeah. So by joining these other groups with people, with professionals, um, I was able to therefore uh, have that support from professionals to um, account for my credibility over a long period of time of knowing me. So no matter what they came up with, with uh, you know one of their reporters or, or their doctors, that they might say that you know oh well I met her and you know I assessed her and she's this that and the other with you know diagnosis which one of their psychiatrists attempted to do, uh, and um, this one he's, he's well known, uh, Dr. Chris Rickard Bell, uh, he did an assessment on me for the Crown. And when we went into court in the Victims' Compensation Appeal, my barrister pulled him in and he was on the stand. Anyway, his report was basically pulled apart. He was discredited for his report and him was discredited. Yeah. Uh, and the reason being for that, um, when he was questioned, um, they also pulled out the letter of introduction the Crown sent to him for what they wanted in this assessment. And it was shown that they basically told him what they wanted him to find and that's exactly the report he wrote. And that was proven, um, the Crown objected strongly to this letter of introduction being produced into evidence. Uh, the judge, Judge Ainsley Wallace, demanded to see it, said no, she wants to see it. Um, so then he was on the stand and he was torn to pieces basically as um, basically an opinion for hire. Yes, and now, so he wrote an unfavourable report against yes, you. unfavourable against me. That's but Dr Chris Bell. For what they wanted to try and shut this matter down. Now the other the other psychiatrist who is well known as a pedophile protector, uh, who I've had as, had dealings with as well, who actually uh, ran his finger across his throat uh, in a gesture to me to indicate um, you're dead, you know, like from one ear to the other across your throat. Okay. Sort of um, insinuation. Anyway, um, his name is Professor Brent Waters. Now, Brent Waters. Brent Waters. Brent. Yep. Yeah. Brent. B R E N T. Okay. Brent Waters, Professor Brent Waters, he is notorious. Now, because I was doing all the support work I was doing, um, he tried to intervene in my case early early on, but I already had Anne at that stage and said no. Mm. Uh, I was also, also already warned about him. Now, in my subsequent dealings with other cases along the way when I was um, in these groups and also supporting other women and non-offending parents or you know victims that are also male, um, of these people, um, he he said to me when I, I rang him and I said, uh, "Don't threaten me again." After that, after that case, we were in court, um, and he was giving evidence so that this woman could not see a child again. She's trying to prevent the, her husband, who was the perpetrator and involved in one of these cults, uh, from abusing the child. Mm. And um, so, because she raised the issue of sexual abuse, they they targeted her, and he was the psychiatrist here in this, going for the father. And now that, the outcome of that particular case was this mother was not allowed to see this child again until she was 18 and was placed with the perpetrator. Well, Deb, that's what's happening. The um, detective way up in charge of my case, um, I got a phone call from a lawyer uh, who said that a client of hers, same thing happened to her client. She had a little four-year-old boy. The boy, uh, this detective, wrote a report against the mother 
um, who had gone forward to police to uh, Dobby in a pedophile ring and say, look, her husband was sexually abusing this child and the husband was prostituting the child out to other men in this ring. And uh, so this police officer turned on this woman and this police officer's being described as absolutely vicious and uh, the, the terrible things, tried to make out the mother was a nutcase, etc., etc. And the child has, for the last, I don't know, four or five years, been continually abused by the father and the pedophile ring in Sydney and the mother's not allowed contact with the child. Yes, exactly. Same scenario. I've heard it over and over and yep. over and over. We have got a damage control system here yep. in Family this country law courts. that protects this yep. child slave sex trafficking ring yes. at the highest levels. Yes. And anyone who comes forward, look out. Now, when Australia's I family this, law courts are just a, a child prostitution racket. Yes, it is. Um, I have no doubt about that. Now, when I went to this Federal Royal Commission, and I spoke to Commissioner Fitzgerald when I was in there, uh, basically because I, I already knew from being in the Wood Royal Commission uh, what to expect. Now, I'd already spoken with people in there uh, on the phone previously, and I, re I know that a Royal Commission is basically a PR exercise, it's right? It's a whitewash. It is, and it's a fishing expedition to find out who knows. Yes, it's an, it's an information gathering exercise so That's they right. know where to um, plug up the leaks. That's right, and who, who to get rid of who's too much of a threat. Yes. Well, Commissioner, Commissioner Fitzgerald tried to patronise me. He said, oh, he understood exactly what I was going through. I, 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 right. I jumped across the table. I said to him, don't you dare insult my intelligence and try and patronise me. Yeah. I said, you have never walked my shoes. Yeah. And he put his head down. And the woman that was in the room with him, um, she said to me, oh, no, what we mean by that is empathise. I went, yeah, right. Is that Milroy or Judge Cote was with you? Um, she was a, I forget what her name was. Um, I've got dark hair? She was a, a dark dark woman. I think she might have been. Um, she, she's an indigenous um, yes. child psychiatrist from WA. Yeah. Well, I had she's her. good. Um, and um, what he wanted to know was, because they obviously knew that I'd worked with a lot of people and my name had been mentioned in there to them by others mm -hmm. that I had worked with and supported. And um, he wanted to know what advice I gave to these other parents that um, I had worked with. And I told him straight. I said, if there's no report or notification made when they came to me, I said, I told them not to say a word to protect their children. Otherwise, they would probably be removed from them. You know, yes. so, uh, I didn't say those words. I just said, uh, I told them to say nothing. We would help them to disappear and heal their kids quietly. And the look on his face, they looked at each other, their eyes opened wide, their mouths opened wide, because then they realise there's a lot of other victims out there they yes. don't know about. And, and they don't know what information it has, and they know I know about it. And I just want to say to listeners too, if you haven't already come forward, if you're in the position of those mothers who find out their husbands sexually assaulting their children and maybe prostituting their children, what you do is... You act by stealth. You do not inform authorities. The authorities are the enemy. What you do is you quietly get your money together. You quietly, you do not let your husband know. You quietly plan an escape and you disappear with those children. You must be willing to sacrifice material goods, whatever, relationships. You disappear, you go on the run. 
Yes. And you, but you have a backup plan, and you go to a women's shelter if you have to. You go anonymously. You, if you need to find support, but you go in and you, you know, say that your husband's, you know, beating you or something abusive or yes. whatever you want to exactly. say. Yes. But you yes. do it anonymously. Never give your details out. If you can, on the black market, change your name and your children's identities, you do that because, let's face it, the authorities are not there helping us. They are part of a national and international child trafficking operation. Yes. Well, one, the going to that, what you just said then, I'll give an example of one particular case that I dealt with. This woman, her husband was, uh, was obviously uh, multi-generational. Um, she caught uh, him in Just explain, with, Deb, what that term multi-generational means. That means children who are born into a, an occult family and this has been going on for generations. Mm. Um, so this was obviously, a, from what I can gather from the information I got from this particular woman, um, she, she thought that she knew something was wrong but she didn't know what it was. She was often taking the kids to the doctors with things and and didn't quite know what it was because, I mean, most, we don't know these things until after the fact. Um, so anyway, she caught her husband in bed with his mother uh, and so she then the penny dropped, you know, she, she became aware, the aha moment, something's going on here. Anyway, one of the children disclosed to her quietly, she said, okay, shh, we don't say this. Anyway, she went to see someone she knew who was in uh, a position of authority. They got back to me. They rang me because they knew about the work I'd been doing for years and put this woman in touch with me without making any report. Now, my advice to this woman was, okay, your children have already been abused. Because of the influence of this family in this place, you cannot make a report. If you do, you will lose your children to them for good. They will take them off you and give them to them because they are part of this. So I said, uh, right, now you get the same thing. You have to forego everything if you can. What you need to do is get what you can together, formulate an escape plan, push his buttons till he hits you. The minute he hits you, you get a domestic violence order and get him removed or you can get out that way. You can get placed in a shelter and you can move away. And therefore you've got a record of violence of this man. Um, so she did all that and that was how she got out. No mention of sexual abuse, no nothing, and moved away. Um, she let everything go. I mean, they had property and houses and whatever too. They were all to do. Um, but he he was going to take everything anyway. But she was she he she still had one property he didn't know about that was in her family uh, that she lived with the father. So she still had something to go to. So she was okay there. But she got away from them and she was able to rescue her children and get them out and start healing them quietly. But if she had gone further the, down the normal channels that most people will do. Uh, when something happens, they believe that, oh, you know, a crime has been committed here, we go to the police and we report it and they will get charged and da-da-da-da-da. No, that doesn't happen. You report no. this. You are the one who's going to end up charged. You are the one who's going to lose your children. You are the one that's probably going to end up in a psych ward or in jail and yes. set and discredited and have you, you will be torn to pieces. The perpetrator will be protected. That's that right. is a given. That's a that fact. Is, I have that documented time and time and time again from numerous cases. And we have Commissioner Wood to thank for that situation. Well, not just Commissioner Wood. It's not just Commissioner Wood. I mean, the, we also have people in politics. I mean, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and police commissioners. I mean, John Avery was in power back in the yes, the, I the have, late yes, 80s. John Avery was in power when my case was going through. I and John that. Avery, Deb, was one of my abusers. Right. Well, John Avery was the one when I said to him, what's happening with my case? I wanted, I wanted either, you know, because of the murders and everything involved. Um, he said, my case is completed, and I have that in writing, my case is completed but not closed. And the reason that they kept it open like that was because of the allegations of murder in it. The other reason is, because the case is still open, they don't have to discuss it or release any details because it's still open. This was another tactic that they used to prevent information becoming be, being made available. Yeah. Um, they don't close uh, it. The other one that um, we're aware of with a lot of people who have come out with stuff was um, Bob Carr. The premier oh, I oh, they've all named all the boys have named Bob Carr as picking yep. up boys from Darling. Oh Darling yeah, the other one. Way. The other one was um, John Dowd. John Dowd was also caught picking up boys at the wall in King's Cross. Yes. Um, mm. He ended up on the on the bench of the Supreme Court. Mm. Um, well, now, the other John, ones are the Tim Roy has just named Gordon Moyes from Two GB and. The Wesley yeah. Mission, City Mission in Sydney, mm. and um, John Laws, Alan Jones, John Singleton. Yeah, I've heard all those names before. Yeah, I was just about to say, so have I through other boys. Yeah. Everyone's just naming the same people over and over. And that's, over. these are the ones at the heart of the Wood Royal Commission. Yeah. This is why Commissioner Wood was employed to cover it up. Yes. Now, I just, I just want to say about, um, I just want to go and read uh, Commissioner Wood's report because I'm saying this because Commissioner Wood's report on ritual abuse in Australia has had a profound impact on the it practice of psychology impact. and psychiatry. It has had a profound impact, but you know the the credence I give it, it's less than toilet paper. I know, but it is. It was originally cited and formed the foundation for the training that psychologists get now. So oh, when well. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been through six years of psychology training and I witnessed this firsthand. I witnessed, because of Commissioner Wood, I witnessed um, victims' testimonies being mocked in psychology master's le forensic psychology class at Bonjini. I agree I, with I, that because one girl that I have spoken to, another girl who, she had uh, not cult abuse but just uh, abuse in a family and then was raped later by, by police officers. Um, yeah. She came, she was referred to me by another friend and she said to me she was she was scared she was sleepwalking she said because you know she'd go to bed and you know she knows she had half a tank of petrol and she in a car and she knew the, the mileage and she'd get up in the morning and she'd have a quarter of a tank of petrol and the mileage was different so yeah. she, she was driving while she was sleepwalking yeah. anyway as i talked to her i, I realized no it was model personality disorder or dissociation identity disorder did and i said to her she was already in therapy and i said right you go back to your psychologist and you tell her what I've just said. And um, she did. And the psychologist tried to say, oh no, it was fugue states, it was this, that, and the other. They would not go down this road. And I said, right, I said, you get your psychologist to ring me or you find another one. You tell her to either work with this with you or, or you find someone else who will. Anyway, she agreed. Now it turned out that she had eight. Mm. And she's doing well now. Yeah. Now, most people want to try and make out that the dissociative identity disorder is a rare thing. No, it's not. No, it's just common. It is a normal, natural state. And I'll give an example for listeners who don't know this sort of thing. 
Um, you'll often hear with people, if you haven't experienced it yourself, with a traumatic event such as a car accident or going to be hit by a car, that things will suddenly slow down and go into slow motion and whatnot. That is an, a, a form of dissociation where yeah. time will slow down. Then um, you will also, if you have been injured or something has happened, such as a fall, you will remember up to a certain point and then a, a short time, a period of time after that, you don't yeah. have any memory of. It's sort of like a blank, like the lights have gone out. And other people, such as paramedics or hospital staff or even family friends, will say they were talking to you at that time. You have no recollection of it. Mm. That is the dissociation. It is, it is a natural mechanism the brain has to deal with a traumatic event where it switches it off. So therefore, after repeated traumas, when we're talking about sexual abuse, the child dissociates because it's such a it's a natural mechanism to protect the child's psyche, to dissociate and switch that and blank that bit out. After a while, those those memories of repetitive abuse which have been blanked out go elsewhere in the brain, which formulates another personality that deals with the trauma that the conscious memory, such as yourself, um, if you've had that part where you've had that blank spot, uh, does not recall. But over a period of time, these memories resurface that have been pushed away. And this is where we call the recovered memories from. Now, when people say that these recovered memories are bullshit, they are not bullshit. They have been stored elsewhere, like in a different section of your filing cabinet inside your brain of memory. Hmm. And that might make it easier for people to understand how this happens and what we're talking about when we're talking about dissociation and when they do uh, deliberate trauma associate dissociation yes. to create this so the child does not remember consciously because those traumatic memories are stored elsewhere in this like in a different part of your consciousness until such time as one day they might resurface and, and sometimes they do flood the victim and they don't cope and they and they're going out there and people think they're crazy no they're not they're overwhelmed they can't cope these memories of horror and torture and pain are flooding them and, and they're reacting as you would when you're just being in, in it and reliving it all over again. I couldn't have said it better myself. You've, you've, the way you described that is so close to what to an article I wrote years ago that's up on my site, pedosdownunder.com, or pedophilesdownunder.com. And um, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's true. Um, people have no concept of what is really just a normal reaction to extraordinary stress. Exactly. It's all, that's all DID is. Yes, and, but, but then you touched on the other phenomenon, which is where you've got the likes of the Nazis. Yes. Um, they scientifically uh, analysed this phenomenon and they, they were able to artificially induce a, you know, a, a, a DID situation using torture. Yeah. And well, drugs and unethical hypnosis, etc. And that's documented. They've put it in the movies. Perfect examples of it, of mind control. One was with Charles Bronson in a movie called Telefon, T-E-L-E-F-O-N. Mm. Now you'll see in that where he, I think it was the Russians, and he rang a mm. bell and all of a sudden the bell was the trigger for mm. this guy to react and do his programming. Another one was the Manchurian Candidate with Denzel mm. Washington with the memories when they play with the mind. Another one, a very good one, is um, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Mm. Uh, another one is The Bourne Identity where mm. they created Jason Bourne. 
Now, that was all done through uh, repetitive traumas. If you look at the movie at the end, they show you the drowning, the, the almost drowning, you know. Um, and this is also a part with children when they bring them to the closer, the point of where they think they're going to die. Then, then the perpetrator then suddenly rescues them. This, mm. this creates a, 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 a bond within the mind of bonding to the perpetrator because mm. on one hand they're trying to kill them, but the next minute they're rescuing and saving their life. Yeah. And this is where this, is where this, um, this confusion comes in and the power of the perpetrator is so powerful with some of these victims because they know that they, they have the power of life and death over them. So these people then become omnipotent. They become like gods. They become all powerful. And these children don't know how to put that in perspective. They don't have the life skills. They don't have the tools. They don't have the equipment to deal with that. So they split. Yeah. They, they go along with what the perpetrator they, they split very, designs. very clever. They know how to do this and they do it re deliberately and they use it in their own military and their own spy agencies. Mm. Now, we know that with the Presidio case over in the US with the military over there, what was going on as well, um, there, there, is no, there is multiple documentation on various uh, cases with the military and with the alphabet agencies, I call them, you know, whether it's CIA or ASIOs or uh, NSAs or, you know, you name it who utilise this natural function and abuse it for their own ends. Yes. And the, these pedophiles do it and use it and abuse it for their ends as well. So it's not just for uh, the military and, you know, defence and whatnot to create these spies or, you know, that's only done at this end of the thing. This is where the psychiatrists and that come into play in all of this and yeah. doctors because they've got to bring them to the brink of death and they need doctors to revive. They also have psychiatrists and whatnot. And psychologists like Dr. Here. Anthony Kidman, my perp. Yeah, well, there you go. And, um, you know, the abuse of psychiatry and medicine here um, to, do, to formulate this end for their own purposes is nefarious. It, I mean, it's so abhorrent to the average man or woman in the street who has no knowledge of this, what's going on. It is... I... I it's... For me, it's hard to relate to a lot of people because they have no concept of what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And to try and tell them that, they are looking well, at you... Well, it's like, like the Matrix, Deb. You yes. know, it's like we've taken the red pill and we can't go back to ignorance. That's right. I can't go back to sheep. Now, tell me, you've, you've actually had a lot of contact with victims and parents yeah. of this um, uh, mind control? Yeah, the, the basically that's the foundation of cult abuse. Mm. They that is the foundation. They have to get them to dissociate so that they can to continue the abuse, so that the parents don't know because the child will act normally, because mm. the child has no conscious memories of the abuse, because they have dissociated and put those memories elsewhere. Mm. That is how the child can function, and still go to school, go home, and this is a, one. This is I'm talking about children who are not in a family where it's going on. I'm talking about children who are in a family with, where this is not going on within the family or with relatives around them. It's going on through their uh, Boy Scouts, club groups, mm. school, Sunday schools, um, you know, some other activities such as dance. Public schools too, the schools. Yeah, the schools as well, exactly what I'm saying. Um, and also like um, talent agencies and things like that where they go to dance class or drama classes. I mean, these people access children. They are in mm. every every field where children are accessible. Mm. There was, Deb, there was in the Sutherland Shire, there was um, somebody on Facebook sent me an ad. They were horrified because it, it, the ad was pictures of lovely children with Shire kids wanted. 
Yes. And and we all, all of us on my page went, wanted for what? And it was for a photograph shoot for a calendar. Yet this is how, and I'm not saying this particular organisation's involved, but I just balk at that. I would not recommend anybody take their kids to uh, some kind of talent scout, you know, model scouting children's yeah. agent. Um, yeah. Usually they're involved. That's right. It's how they get kids. That's right. And they take the photos of them and then they pick the ones they want. And then next minute, mm. your child's gone. Your or, child's or, gone missing. Or they yeah, check or, where the, where, if the child's vulnerable, if it's a single parent who's struggling or something like this. Well, they pick yeah. who they target. And they do it through nippers too. My kids are very involved in surf life-saving, you know. My, my daughter's a like surf life-saver. It's, it's another organisation with yep. children that's accessible. Yep. You know, it happens, it happens all over. Now, tell me... We were talking one time about the um, influence of um, Nazi war criminals in this organisation, which I, I have witnessed right at the top. Yes. And um, you were saying something about you've seen a bit of a relationship between this desire for Aryan-looking children yes. um, and these cults. Can you tell us a bit about that? The family cult with Anne Hamilton Burney is a prime example where all the children's hair were dyed blonde. Mm. You know, these children were abused and stolen and false adoptions and everything else. There's, those photographs of those children is in your face. You can't, there's no denying it. Mm. Um, that, that's one of, the, one of the ones who are, who are so, um, so obvious. For that, you know, we're talking to a lot of people probably here that don't have much information or, or insight into this. So if they look at the photographs from the children of the Anne Hamilton Byrne family cult case in Victoria of mm. Australia and see the photographs of these children, you will see it, it is there. It, you, it is undeniable. Mm. And I've noticed it with a lot of others. Mm. Uh, in less, it's less dramatic and less in your face, but yeah. it's there nonetheless. And did they not target your own daughter? Yes, they targeted. They tried to grab my daughter. Um, they've tried to grab my son. My son was blonde and blue-eyed too. Mm. Um, yeah, because they're very. They were very photogenic. <laughs> they were very good-looking children. They still are. Um, you know, I love my children, and to you know, without my children, there would be no end for me. There's no life. Mm. Uh, and this is what I said to Docs when they first um, tried to. I knew what she was up to. When, that's why I went and got the referral to the psychiatrist and whatever. I said I put it to you this way. Anything happens to my children, I have got nothing left to lose. Mm. And I'll be coming for you first. And that's when mm. she said, you do what you like, Deborah. And I said, mm. that's fine, I will. Yeah. And it was only through my own insight, like, you know, you get that gut feeling that something's wrong with this person. Um, you know, from their reactions, from the things they say, the, the, the looks on their face, the smirks, the... Oh, yeah. The, all that sort of thing, you pick it up and you think, oh, you know, this, but there's something wrong here. And the microfacial expressions that you pick up. Yeah, well, I, I, I had no training. I was just, you know, you No, own. no, you don't need training if you, if it's... If you know what to look for. At that stage, I didn't look know anything. For, but also, if people are very bright, if they're high IQ, they can automatically read microfacial expressions. They don't right. have to be trained in it. Right, well, see, I've never been trained in anything like that. Um, I'm just a normal mum. Uh, who just said, you know, this is wrong. And I was, I've seen, not only through my own case and history uh, with the system, but through many, many others, that this is wrong, we have a huge problem here, and I, my conscience can't say, well, my kids are okay, yours don't matter, Jack. Um, every child matters, you know, and um, they, they don't have a voice. So for those parents who didn't have the knowledge that I did and the experience, 
um, I've been able to help a lot of them because of what my insight uh, and experience through the process of systems abuse and how they go about things to shut people down, to discredit them, to um, to cover it all up basically and protect their networks. Mm. Um, I mean, child trafficking is a very lucrative business and we're talking not only here with the child sexual abuse here, then we're talking the huge amounts of money that is made with child porn and snuff movies and whatnot with uh, these murders and where the child is either um, abused to the point of death happens or is intentionally inflicted by them because that's their bent. Mm. Um, I was working with a several federal officers as well um, and um, I gave them information on another particular case and I said we'll see how you go with that one first and then we'll see what happens after that. Now these officers then uh, I'd been talking to them for a while over that and all of a sudden they didn't contact me anymore and I didn't know why. Anyway, I let it go for a bit thinking, oh, well, they might be busy. Anyway, I ended up contacting one of them and he said to me, please don't call me anymore. And he told me what happened, that they got called in, they got told to hand over all the evidence that they had, that included the information I gave them, um, all documented and everything and whatnot. And, um, they were given 24 hours to take leave and then they were transferred to another department. That now, tells you how high this goes. Yeah, that's that's the cover-up. And another example of cover-up by the current uh, Child Abuse Royal Commission that's been conducted at a national level in Australia is that um, you were saying that you were banned by the current Royal Commission from testifying against Hillsong when Hill, they, they specifically targeted Hillsong and we're calling for Hillsong witnesses. Now, you're a yes. choice witness, yes. and yet the current Royal Commission banned you. Can you tell us about that? Um, they tried to say they didn't have any records of me contacting them and or that it was in late or whatever, and they had witnesses for that. Mm. Um, and uh, when I said, well, this is rather strange, you want witnesses against Hillsong and institutional abuse. I've got a, I've got a winning case here where we've been proven to be validated by a court of law here in the Court of Appeal Criminal Court of Appeal against uh, with the Victims' Compensation Unit where my children gave evidence and won the case and were awarded compensation, criminal yeah. compensation damages. Even though that was a pittance and an insult, it didn't matter. I didn't. It wasn't the money. The money was a pittance, but um, because they capped it at fifty thousand dollars per family, but um, and, and it didn't go on incidents either. It went on the whole thing. So you know, given that the ten thousand dollars was in legal costs. <laughs> I mean, you know, so money you, your kids off. walk off with a with a lousy forty grand for. No, no, no. My 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 son, my daughter was only awarded five. Oh, awesome! Five grand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it also came out too in that in that particular VCT hearing with my daughter uh, when we all went in on the appeal that the 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 hospital originally where we went to for the children to be examined. The hospital and docs and all the rest of it had hidden the medical corroborative evidence on my daughter. They couldn't hide the medical evidence on my son, but my son was younger. He was only six. My daughter was older, so they hid the corroborative evidence on her. What hospital was that, Deb? Um, that she had a perforated hymen, etc. From yeah. The, what said, hospital did that? That was the Children's Hospital at Camperdown, which is now moved to Westmead. Okay. Yeah. Now another interesting case that came out of that particular hospital. Um, with, with Hillsong, was a pastor was charged with abuse. The mother walked in. She had two girls. The mother caught the the pastor who she who had befriended her and picked her up basically and started a relationship with her from Hillsong uh, the, at the church. 
Anyway, the, she took the children to the hospital. The evidence was semen in the throat. The doctor involved was Dr. Suzette Booth, and uh, he pleaded. He pled guilty, so I know the details would come out in the children. What was the name of that pastor who was uh, found guilty? I can't. I can't remember. I'd have to find notes. Um, I haven't gone through through them all. I didn't have them handy. No, that's all right. Um, so he was a Hillsong pastor. Yes, a youth pastor or a senior pastor. Or uh, I can't remember now. It's gone back a few years. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, we're going back over a decade, more than a decade. Um, you know, trying to store uh, all names and whatnot in my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I sometimes I used to be able to. Um, rattle it off, boom, 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 yeah, but not so now, easy now. now I have, I struggle sometimes with um, some, remembering some information. Yeah, we're getting old, aren't we? Uh, well, it's not just old, it's the amount of information that um, that you end up dealing with, with yeah. case, not just your own, but case after case after case, with yeah. the names that keep coming up and the, the details, you know? Yeah. Um, you get to a point where, you, you know, you're overloaded and overwhelmed sometimes, um, you know, some of the kids that um, one case, another case, was only a small young child. She was only 20, 22 months old, I think. Um, her internal injuries were such that she'd probably never have children. But um, because the child was too young to give evidence against the perpetrator, the court wanted to still allow the perpetrator unsupervised access. Yeah. So, you know, it gets to the point where you have to, in order to protect these children from the system and from the perpetrators, um, ordering them to go back to them so they could be continually re-abused. You have it's to break the law. Out, you know, we had yeah. to formulate a network of people that where we could send parents and their kids to stay and keep moving them until we could get them settled and things get sorted a bit to protect the children. Yeah. I mean, when you get to that point and you and you, you know, I haven't had to do that for a long time now, but when you've got to when you've got to uh, have, you know, and you can't use your own phone, you can't talk from home, you know, you've got to use strategies and means to stay under the radar, so to speak, to keep these kids safe for a period of time long enough till, you know, we can get them uh, more established. Uh, it's not an easy task. I mean, it's, it costs money. Um, I have spent basically my life doing this and, you know, um, using all the resources I've had to protect children and help these non-offending parents to protect their children. Uh, and people within my network that I used to use back then you know, we all put ourselves out and used our resources in all, in all to do all this with no funding, no extra from anywhere. Um, we, and, you know, sometimes the bills didn't get paid because I had to save a child instead. Um, you know, all this sort of thing, you know, the struggles comes into play here on so many various levels. There's the issues of transport and uh, they can't use their car anymore because it's targeted, it's, it's flagged, you know, the police have mm. set up them up. Um, so, you know, then you've got to organise another vehicle um, in a, registered in another name so that they can get around and go from place to place unnoticed. Um, then there's the issue of accommodation, food and whatever, because you don't want them accessing bank accounts mm -hmm. in an area where they are. So oftentimes, you know, they would leave their card, key card with me and I would withdraw the money in cash out of that and then I'd go to another bank and deposit that money some, in, an, in an account and then I would transfer that money to someone else to be able to give them, they could draw it out then and give them the cash so there was no record of where they were. Mm -hmm. They might be in another state or whatever. And I would do it all from over here and organise it so that the money could get to them, but there was no paper trail to where it was going, so to speak. Mm. 
you know, there was a lot of things that we had to do. And I mean, it's all time, effort, it's stress, you know. Yeah. Uh, you're being what you got to watch out. You know, you're being watched, and because the minute you use a key card with someone who's targeted, uh, it, it flags. You know. Oh, it, Deb, oh. I I can testify to that. When my whole family, my mum and siblings, we all had to go on the run when I first started talking about the ritual abuse and all that sort of stuff in Sydney, and uh, they come after us, and we were chased by multiple four wheel drives, and um, we were up on a beach in Queensland, and. My mother had just used a key card, and um, the next thing we know, there were these guys in suits coming down to the beach in a suit yeah. with a very old-style cell phone, you know, like looked like a big brick, and looking for it. was it, a you know? satellite phone, that's why. Yeah. Well, that's phone. And those satellite phones, I think that's what these four guys um, who confronted me, Snap Rep, Nikki Davis, and Raina Michelson, um, at Marrickville train station in Sydney when I was there last 2nd of November last year, 2015, we had these four guys um, with military haircuts, etc., dressed yep. like workmen at 5 in the afternoon and they didn't have a, a bit of dirt or sweat on them. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, they came yep. up to us and, you know, scouted. I've had exactly the same thing. They had, those, they had those phones you're talking about. Yeah, I've had exactly the same thing, not only me but others. And when I've been followed and all the rest of it um, by vehicles and whatnot, um, I, I've actually rang the homicide squad and I spoke to a, the, the guy there and he was obviously a damage control agent and I said to him to call him off and um, and I said listen you you're only used as a patsy too and I said you think you you think you're protected now but I said if the shit hit the fan um, you would be you, you know you're dispensable too yeah I said so I don't think you're safe I said you're just another you're just another damage control agent who is easily dispensable as well I said now you either call your dogs off because if push comes to shove, I said, trust me, I said, um, I will do so. Now, I've had ASIO follow me. I got yeah. to the point where uh, I knew it was intelligent, so I rang ASIO and I asked for their personnel department and they put me through and I said, well, I'm ringing for He said, can I help you and whatever? And I said, yes, I'd like to apply for a job. And he said, well, what would you like to do? I said, well, I don't really care. I said, I don't care if I'm in your admin or, you know, I said, I don't care if I'm a tea lady there. I said, but if you want to watch me, because I was monitoring my phone calls, I could hear them on the line. I was being followed and everything. I said, if you want to watch me, you can pay for me the privilege. And uh, he, he laughed and he said, you've got some chutzpah. Now, that wasn't part of my vocabulary at the time. I had to look up what the word meant. In other words, it means you've got some guts. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the when I told them, you know, call them off, you know, I'm not an idiot. Um, I, I know who's following me, and I can see it. It's quite clear. And how did what did they? What was their appearance? Very military style. Yeah, like you just described. And I've had my friends. What clothing did they wear, Deb? The Asian officers. What was that? What clothing were they dressed Often in? Often in suits. Yeah, right. Often in suits or smart casual. Yeah, right. Mm. Well, you, now there's been some articles put up after I had this incident with tradesmen-looking ones where. There's there's been articles in Sydney Morning Herald and everywhere saying, oh, ASIO are now recruiting tradesmen. Yeah. <laughs> I've had them on my telegraph pole outside and stuff like that too. Oh, yeah, we, yeah we've had that. <laughs> yeah, we've had that. I put no, up, yeah, hey, no, Deb, just, just on a light note. Whatever, whatever you see in the movies when they're watching someone under surveillance and whatnot, how they have their, their vans and up on the poles yeah. or, uh, you know, in trading uniform to go into somewhere or whatnot, yeah, expect it because that's exactly what they do. I've had it all. I've had all the different vehicles. I've had everything from a, a high-end BMW to the four-wheel drives. I've even had an orange-coloured V-dub follow me. And <laughs> to do, 
when I knew I was being followed, because I, I drive with one eye in the rear vision, you know, and um, what I'd do when I knew I was being followed, um, I, I come up to a roundabout, well, I'd put my blinker on to turn right, and but I kept going around, and they'd go to turn right, and then I'd go around and around and around, and then just wait. <laughs> <Yeah. out. laughs> I've done that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, or I'd turn the car off at a set of lights and the light would turn green and they're behind me or two cars back, you know, and bipping, bipping. And then I'd wait and as soon as the, the, it was about to turn orange, I'd turn the car over. As soon as it, it turned orange and then I'd duck around the corner, turn left or something like that or turn right, you know, just get through and they were stuck behind there at the lights, you know. Yeah. Uh, things like that. You know, I had my car tampered with. Um, I actually had my mechanic... And he'd only just serviced it um, about a week and a half or two weeks at the max beforehand. Anyway, I went back to him and I said, because I only ever used the one person all the time with my car, you know. And I went back to him and I said, look, you know, it's going through a lot of petrol, you know. Are you sure you did something wrong? You didn't do something wrong or whatever? And he said, no. And he said, I'll come and have a look at it. And he had a look. And he told me to go inside and get a cup. And I went inside and got a cup. And he said, right, now turn the car on. He put it, I turned the car on and he put the cup underneath somewhere. And he, and he said, right, turn it off. And I, I came back out and he went, look, and there was over half a cup of petrol in the cup. He said, this car was set to blow up. He said, the petrol was pouring over your motor. He said, how you haven't blown up yet, I don't know. Oh, now, that was one instance. Now, that was reported to the Woodrow Commission. Yeah. Um, the incidents of uh, being followed, where I actually filmed them with the video camera, um, uh, that was handed in. Ritual sites on video were handed in. Uh, I never got any of that back off them. And no. I didn't have, I only had a couple of copies of some some things. Because in those days, you had to do it on VCR. And yeah. to, the, like, to copy footage and stuff was... It was very difficult. It's not, you didn't have, yeah, you didn't yeah. have your iPhone, did you? No, Andy? no, we didn't have any of that. <laughs> no. Listen, Deb, I just want to, I just want to finish up. We've got to finish soon. But I want to finish up by reading... Um, Commissioner Woods, some of his findings in his summary in his final report, and then I want your feedback on this. Okay. Ready? Yeah. It's from, you know, as someone who experienced all of this firsthand. So he said that uh, ritual abuse does not exist from a law enforcement perspective because, and I quote, ready? There's seven points. Rarely, if ever, are bodies of the victims or their graves found, nor do neighbours, friends or relatives report children missing in the numbers required to account for the allegations. Point two, there is rarely, if ever, any evidence of the kind which can be confirmed by modern forensic technology. Three, signs of physical injury in the form of scarring, burns and the like are not found upon medical examination of victims who report torture of the most extreme and prolonged kind. More often than not, the medical examination fails to confirm the abuse as alleged. So four, in cases of criminal conspiracy, intergroup jealousies or disputes inevitably develop and throw up an informant. In cases of ritual abuse, this rarely, if ever, occurs. Similarly, a co-conspirator who is otherwise in trouble and prepared to supply information in return for an immunity or assistance in sentencing rarely emerges. Again, and then point five, again, contrary to experience with child sexual abuse generally, most of the offenders are reported to be females. Six. Although many victims claim that photo photographs are taken and videotapes made of the activity, visual records of the kind are rarely found, nor does the large amount of child pornography in circulation portray the bizarre and ritualistic activities described. And finally, so many people tell the same story and allege the involvement of so many others in the events that it is difficult to see how there could not be independent evidence or knowledge of it on the part of persons outside the alleged rings. 
So there is main main concluding points as to why ritual abuse, why what you said your children saw, did not occur. That's right. What's your comment on all of that? What a load of hogwash. That is typical damage control of someone who is involved saying, well, where is your evidence? My children were the evidence. We had the medical evidence. We have a missing child who is missing. They, I mean, now they have Interpol and whatnot doing child abuse and the bulletin boards and the pedophiles connected together. I mean, it's there. The information is there. The evidence is there. Pedophile rings are operating with child pornography around the world. They're paying using credit cards. Interpol is is getting them now for this. The evidence is there of this going on. I mean, that is rubbish. What a load of hogwash. The evidence was there back then, though, Deb. Of course it was. Hmm. Of course it was. And I've still got it. And a lot more besides. Hmm. As you now know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's undeniable. I mean... I mean, when you've got two, as I said, two, two witnesses who've come forward with corroborative testimony and corroborative medical evidence, and the child is officially listed as missing, and they refuse and fail to investigate, what does that tell you? Mm. I mean, it doesn't take Einstein to figure that one out. Mm. I mean, you know, one plus one is two. Uh, this doesn't make ten and, and some sort of fabrication. I mean, that evidence is irrefutable. I mean, the case has been won in a, in a court of law as well, that this happened and occurred and, and damages were paid. So the evidence has been validated. Mm. So why isn't there any further investigation into this? Well, I really think the current Royal Commission needs to bring Commissioner Wood up onto the stand and we need to go over the content of the Wood Royal Commission. That's what needs to happen because as far as I'm concerned, this Sydney-based trafficking ring is at the heart of all child trafficking and pedophilia in Australia. I'm not going to do that because this is, like I said, a Royal Commission is a fishing expedition. It is a PR exercise to fool the gullible public that, look, we have investigated, we've done all this, we've put recommendations out there, all tied up in a pretty ribbon with a pretty present to sell to a gullible public, and they think, oh, well, they've done something about it now. In fact, nothing has been done. What they have done is find out who is a major threat what evidence is available out there, which is why I got the reaction I did when I said what I said about other victims and their parents who have not, there's no reports made, and they have disappeared quietly. And I know who they are and where they are. And they are not going to get that information from me because I need to protect them. That's right. I will maintain that confidentiality to the last breath I take. And on that note, I think we'll have to leave it there now. The two hours is up. So, Deb, I just really want to thank you for coming forward yet again. After all these years, you're still out there fighting. It's it's disgusting and, you know, it's a very poor reflection on our government and our law enforcement agencies that you're sitting here with me having to go over this stuff again, well, trying see, to be heard. And, well, and the only, the only reason I went to this Royal Commission is it wasn't because I expected anything to happen. No, the only reason I went there was to validate others and to make sure it was on another record somewhere. Yeah, documented. That's, yes, that's all I went for. Yeah, same here. And um, they are aware of the, of the legal problems I'm still facing. They are aware that I'm still being targeted by police. They, the police have tried to you know, get me out of my job. Uh, they've tried every trick in the book. They've threatened me I'm going to have a heart attack or something if they get me in there to lock me up. I'm not going to even drive anymore in case they try some Um you know, the targeting is ongoing. The the threat under the, which I live is ongoing. It has been going on since '89. We're now in 2016. I have not had peace in all this time. 
And in the meantime, you know, you're dealing with other people as well. And like I said, the costs, not just psychologically, emotionally, financially, physically, is draining. The stress is enormous. It takes its toll. I mean, you know, I can't do it forever, I know that. But I'll do what I can, while I can, where I can. And thanks for having me on. I hope it's helped someone with uh, understanding the depths and uh, the lengths that, the, that this goes to and the levels that it reaches, the, the depth, the breadth and the extent of it within the system. And if they can take something from it that will help them and if not themselves, to support someone else to understand what happens to these children and why memories uh, can come up the way they do, um, that's, I've done something positive. Like you have. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Fiona. get all our friends around us and we'll sing a song together. get all our friends around us and we'll sing a song together.
but mine. You run your own body, let me run mine. My body's nobody's body but mine. You run your own body, let me run mine. And we'll get all our friends around us and we'll sing a song together. I want you people, my body, nobody, body, but mine. You run your own body, let me run mine. And again, my body's nobody, body, but mine. You run your own body, let me run mine. When I'm touched and I know how I feel, my feelings are mine and my feelings are real. Sometimes it's hard to say no and be strong. get all our friends around us and we'll sing a song together. I want you people, my body, nobody, body, but mine. You run your own body, let me run mine. And again, my body, nobody, body, but mine. You run your own body, let me run mine. When I'm touched and I know how I feel, my feelings are mine and my feelings are real. Get all our friends around us and we'll sing a song together. I want you people, my 